Hey there, welcome to yet another episode of Drum Sex. Now, before we get into this podcast, I would like to first warn you that this podcast does contain mature themes. And if you're down with that, then let's get into it. Hey sis, welcome to the final episode of Drum Sex. We're wrapping up the third season and we've had quite a few interesting conversations talking about monetizing sex, how to own the body, what to look for if you're looking to own a sex toy, how your pH balance is affected by everyday life and the things that we eat. And just to round off the season, we are talking about sexual trauma and how it can affect personal and intimate relationships. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Marlene Wasserman, also known as the founder of Dr. E Brand. She is a clinical social worker specializing in family therapy and couple and sex therapy. And her recent passion is intimacy trauma. She is taking us through the journey of what happens to the body and the mind once someone experiences sexual trauma from a young age or as an adult. Her work is centered around helping her clients re-own their bodies after they have been violated sexually. And she takes us through how she does that through her work. Here's how our conversation went. Can you kindly explain how sexual trauma may change a person's perspective on, on sex? So, Anita, what I'd like to do is to start off explaining what trauma is and what sexual trauma is so that people really have a good understanding of what we're talking about because there's different forms of trauma. Sexual trauma is one is one, one way people become traumatized. It's one part of what we call developmental trauma disorder, meaning there has been a disruption in the, the developmental phases of the person's life. And we'll come back to that to see how sexual trauma affects that. So let's talk first about trauma. Trauma is an event that happens to people. It can be an event that happens once or a number of times. When it's a once-off event, we call it a, a shock event. If it's multiple times ongoingly, then we call it a um, a ongoing childhood or developmental trauma disorder. So trauma lands on the body. It impacts on the body. And that's where all the difficulties and the trouble comes into it. We talk about two kinds of um, sexual trauma, and we're going to discuss them both. The one kind is what's called childhood sexual abuse, and that would be a child who is um, who has, from any young age, been sexually interfered with, invaded, incested, um, violated by anyone. Usually, it is a family member, somebody well known to them somebody who lives close by to them, who has easy access to them. And depending on the, the age at which this happened, depending on who the person, who was the perpetrator of the violence, and depending on also the frequency of that event, it leaves particular traumatic events, a, a traumatic scars almost in the brain and in the body. So we're talking under the age of 18, that would be somebody who has experienced this, the non-consensual sexual violation. And we'll talk about you know, the impact of that. Then we have the once-off adult or shock traumas that happen, sexual traumas that happen and this could be a sexual harassment at work, or it could be a rape or a violation or a marital rape. 
any kind of non-consensual consensual sexual experience that a person, a male, female, or non-binary person, a queer person does have in their life. And that will impact also on their brain, but in a different way to a childhood sexual trauma mm. that will that will happen. So somebody who has had early childhood sexual abuse, non-consensual early childhood sexual abuse, they begin to experience um, fear, anxiety, and obviously are not able to understand it cognitively what's happened to them. All they know is that they feel uncomfortable and they have a whole amount of emotions that are happening to them, but they're not able to process them or even vocalize them. So it kind of sits in their body and they respond by being very highly alert in the world. So they've become suspicious and untrustworthy. And depending on, as I say, the event, the frequency, the person, the circumstances, if they were protected by a parent, if they weren't protected by anyone at all, all of that has an impact, like any trauma, on four different areas of a person's life, which is on their cognitive life. So they might find that there are people who go to school and aren't able to cognitively perform. You know, they're the people, the young people who are labeled as having ADHD or oppositional defined behavior, or they have learning difficulties. They have difficulties in being able to concentrate or to be able to focus or to be able to really complete tasks. That would be cognitive difficulties that happen because the brain is constantly alert and has been so, the child's been so traumatized by the sexual abuse that the brain is releasing stress hormones all the time to keep them in an alert aware state so the cognitive behavior the cognitive changes the behavior changes where you could find a child would be behaving in what would be called a um an acting out manner they would be looking for attention they're the kids who would start kind of experimenting drugs alcohol risky sex from an early age and it's just because they're really, really desperately looking for ways to escape the internal terror that they experience and don't really understand why and what's happened to them. It may even be that people don't have a memory of it. They just respond because their bodies have been so interfered with and their brain is on constant alert. So that would be behavioral changes. And then there are relational changes, very disrupted relationship situations where we and that's where the intimacy comes into it. And I'll go into that more a little more just now. But they find it difficult to trust people. They find it difficult to feel safe, difficult to have commitment, difficult to be in a relationship, or else they become overly anxious and want to attach a lot or seek out multiple kinds of relationships which may not be healthy for them. So that would be in terms of relationships, you know, really struggling with intimacy and relationship to be able to attach into a relationship space. And then there's emotional difficulties that happen. People would then find that their moods are depressed or anxious or develop what would be defined as or diagnosed as personality difficulties, a borderline personality or bipolar disorder, obsessive compulsive behaviors. So all emotional states are disrupted as well. And then very, very, very unfortunately, when one is living with so much stress, um, stress releasing hormones into the body, the body becomes inflamed if from very young. If you've been a child who has been sexually abused and you then begin to have a lot of adrenaline stress hormones through your body from a very early age. And as a result of that, you had very high risk to have inflammatory diseases. So that would be even starting from the top, anxiety, depression, addictions, uh, inflammation, skin problems, jaw problems, teeth problems, 
feeling that they have, uh, well, not feeling they have fibromyalgia. They could have endometriosis, reproductive health problems, sexual problems, difficulties with breathing, asthma, for example. Um, and there are multiple, multiple diseases that people have and are misdiagnosed. A lot of gut problems, IBS and gut problems, digestion problems, all inflammatory diseases. And people get treated for that without really going in the, the healthcare provider oftentimes doesn't go into what's called the biology of trauma and actually say to the person, well, you know, what really happened to you? You know, you've got this infection or you've got some kind of gut problem and maybe there was something else that happened. And if they were able, they would do a peeling back and seeing that actually this is a person who had some childhood sexual abuse or some sexual abuse as an adult even. So it manifests itself in very many different ways. Thank you so much for that. I think you literally just broke it down in a way that, you know, you talked about the event and how the event kind of changed the person psychologically and physically um, into how it affects their ability to connect and interact with other people on a personal level. Um, I also wanted you to take me through, you know, like, uh, what are some of the ways that someone who has been sexually violated um, could possibly, I know therapy could be one of them, um, but I mean, on a personal level, how do you then uh, take the time or become comfortable with the idea of being intimate with someone physically without the trauma itself being a trigger or uh, something that is constantly at the back of your mind? Yeah, that's a great question because oftentimes, as I said, people don't really know that they have a history of sexual abuse because this is one of the the horrors, right? The perpetrator believes that the child is so young they're not going to remember. But as I keep saying, and there's a book written by Bessel van der Kork, who's my teacher and mentor, The Body Keeps the Score because the body becomes inflamed and so the body knows. So in a sexual way, that person would find as they get older and want to have intimate relationships that actually they're either avoiding attaching to people, as I said, because there's been an attachment disruption, there's been a lack of safety and feeling safe in a relationship, or else, as I said, they want you know a lot of different kinds of attachments, but they may not all be secure and safe attachments and they don't understand why. Or they might find that they really only can have anonymous sexual activity, like um, men may find that they're only happy to go into the baths and have anonymous sex with other men or into bathrooms, or women and other gendered people will find that they only want to have once or one night stands, and that feels much more comfortable than really being attached to somebody, you know, have the sex and get out. Uh, and then many, many people find that when they are in, even in a health, in a loving relationship where they do feel safe and they love the person, they feel, you know, there's great love, they just do not have any sexual desire. Or somehow they find that they've got vaginismus, which is they've got incredible pain with penetration, and they don't understand why. You know, I love this person, I feel safe, but the body's holding the trauma. And so sexually they shut down because their body doesn't feel safe because there may be a memory, it could be a smell that triggers them. It could be the way that the person, if we speak in, in a heteronormative way, the person 
the man gets on top of the woman, maybe a reminder suddenly in the body that this is what happened with the perpetrator. Or if it is two people who are playing together and the one person wants to go down and the other person, and suddenly, you know, she will say, I, I, I can't tolerate this. I don't ever want this. Or you, the person will find that they just absolutely will not surrender themselves into pleasure that when it comes to intimacy, they, they freeze, they go into a free state and they don't understand why. And then there's so many repercussions around that in terms of feeling blamed and shamed and going for therapy and being you know pathologized like, oh, you're dysfunctional sexually. And yeah, you are, you know, you have low desire, but that's not because there's something wrong with you, it's because you you are dealing with a childhood trauma that has never been processed. And for men, it could be just not able to become erect or not able to ejaculate and wondering, you know, what is going on here? And the partner gets very upset. And so there are a lot of indicators, sexual indicators that may be conscious or unconscious. So, for example, somebody has been raped. I mean, you kind of know you've been raped and you know that there's been sexual harassment at work or you feel violated or you even feel online that you've been sexually bullied, sexually harassed. It's going to shut you down sexually, right? It's going to really shut you down sexually. Um, and you kind of know it's more the childhood abuse ones where the memories are difficult to come by. When there is a sexual trauma, there is oftentimes what's called a disassociation from the body. So the person will have deliberately, during a sexual abuse episode, will deliberately have shut their bodies off, right, to be able to just survive what's going on for them. Shut your body off, pretend you're not there, float away. And so when they're in a relationship of, of feeling safe or feeling loved, it's very difficult to re-enter your body and allow yourself to feel safe in your own body and to feel pleasure in your own body again. So a lot of the work is not about trying to disassociate even further. It's trying to get into your body in a safe way, to be able to trust your body again. So a lot of the therapy work could be about how to get this person to be in their body in a safe way again. So the treatment, I don't want to say treatment, the management of how do you manage the situation in an, when you're in that intimate space and you find that you just cannot be present emotionally attaching or sexually attaching, it's very much looking at it through a trauma-informed lens. And you know, Aluta, the minute you tell somebody when it is something that you can say to somebody, and obviously I do a number of assessments to be able to be insured around that and creating a lot of work before we were able to really even you know, consider was this a, um, a traumatic event that happened to you because all the indicators of being there in the body and, and in the intimacy and the sexuality. When somebody begins to understand that, my goodness, this is everything that's happening to me sexually or intimately, relationally, is a direct result of, of trauma. In other words, it's not me that's bad. It's not my fault. This is my body just responding in a protective way, which worked when I was a child, which worked when I was being raped, but it doesn't work any longer because now, you know, I'm an adult and I want to be having pleasurable sexual activity and, and I want to be able to attach and feel safe in a relationship. So that kind of what we call adaptive mechanism of disassociating and getting out of your body when you were a kid, not useful when you're an adult. So that's the work that we do in therapy is to get somebody to safely re-enter their body so that they can enjoy being sexual and to be able to feel safe mostly with you know trusting a person, 
being in a relationship with somebody because oftentimes, as I've said, one of the things that happens is that people reach to different different mechanisms to try and, and escape the feelings of utter fear and terror in their bodies. And they will use things like alcohol or drugs or excessive work, excessive exercise, um, excessive training, risky kind of mountaineering, climbing mountains, you know, cycling on trails, things that, you know, just are going to get their bodies into even more pain and also it's a way of just disconnecting from the hurt that is sitting there. Um, Thank you so much. That's really beautiful. And you touched on something earlier, which is marital rape. Um, mm-hmm. How... Okay, so we've heard of cases uh, multiple times um, of, of of women being raped by their spouses, you know, particularly mm-hmm. people that they are married with or even people that they are dating. You know, you'd have women come and say, I woke up and he was on top of me and I didn't understand what was going on. It may not be yeah. necessarily deemed as rape, but I mean, it is if you think about it. It is. She did not consent oh, yeah. to that. Um, how do we then open or create a safe space within relationships to say that these are boundaries that should not be crossed? Um, and if those boundaries have been crossed, how you then, how do we then reconcile, um, our experiences as people, um, together with, uh, the relationship in itself? So this is very tricky and very, very challenging because we're talking about women who are at high risk if a woman is experiencing marital rape that is just an indicator to me as a therapist that there are other so-called invasions and rapes and terror that's happening in the rest of the relationship the marital rape is just another part of how she's been raped controlled pushed down pushed back in every other part of her relationship, which means that you, you know, you it's easy for us, Aluta, to sit here now, and I hope that you are feeling safe right now, and say, oh well, you know, we should just say no, or we should just get a woman, you know, train woman to say, well, this is rape, this is my right. I know it's law in South Africa that we're not allowed to have marital rape, but when you're living that daily terror, you don't have a voice to say no when he's on top of you because. You may risk being slapped, hit, have something thrown at you, threatened, kicked out, have your children taken from you. There are so many consequences to it. So we have the law, which is fabulous. But seriously, how many women have actually utilized that law? How many women? I don't think many. I wouldn't know, but I don't imagine that. No, that's very true. Hardly, hardly. It's such a hard topic to, to navigate. Yeah, so it's about... And imagine if you are somebody who, when you have experienced any kind of childhood trauma, when you've experienced childhood sexual abuse as a trauma, your ability to say no is lessened. Your vulnerability to the world is increased. So the chances of you being able to make a healthy choice of partner are quite minimized. You're just more at risk for relationships and behaviors that put you into unsafe environments, that put you into unsafe environments. So we know very, very well from research that there is a huge ability 
to be able to, you know, what, what the work that I do is rewiring the brain to be able to get the person to feel safe in their bodies again, to feel safe in themselves again. It's, you know, it's magnificent work. Um, as you you obviously have know, you know, through watching my work or following me, that my work has shifted from pure sexual medicine, from pure sexual therapy into intimacy trauma. I you know, started studying trauma because I found that it really I wasn't skilled enough. I wasn't enough equipped. I wasn't skilled or equipped enough with the with the tools needed to work with what was really trauma. You know, it wasn't sexual difficulties that were just sexual difficulties. There's a trauma underlying it. And the moment I could change that and work with people around their trauma, it's incredible the results um, that 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 occur. Um, that is amazing, actually, because like you said, you know, it's it's not just sexual problems. It, it stems from somewhere. It has a root, right? So it's not just something that shows up unexpectedly when you're an adult or when you're at an age where you want to explore sex. It's something that yeah. has always lived within, within your body. And I love how you talk about how most of your work in therapy goes into um, teaching people how to be comfortable and home in their bodies again so that, you know, they not only empower themselves into being active or rather being present within their bodies, apart from the trauma being there too, but also own their bodies and actually have control. Um, You said earlier that once you've been violated, your vulnerability to the world increases and your ability to say no decreases because already you've been violated in a way and you were put in a position rather where you could not use your voice to say no out of fear. You know, many mm-hmm. things could happen. Um, I'd like Absolutely. to, I'd like for you to take me through. Um, how do we, how do we create safe spaces sexually within relationships? I know that a lot of your work also deals with like, you know, couples mm-hmm. and you know, like, like again, like you said, intimacy trauma. How do we, how do we make it safe and okay, um, mm-hmm. for people in relationships to have these kind of conversations, like the one that I'm having with you right now? Um, a lot of people enter relationships, and you'd find that they'd probably both been sexually um, violated right. in a way, either yeah. as children or as adults. And they yeah. go into the relationship and they don't talk about it, you know, and it it manifests itself in, in different ways. Um, yeah. And so how do we, um, how do we create a safe space that allows people, both men and women to feel comfortable to talk about sex, to talk about what makes them uncomfortable, to talk about their experience and to also just create an environment that, that allows communication to be a thing when it comes to like intimacy in that way. So I always tell people that the most important thing to have in a relationship is not love and orgasms. Love is really when you feel, and orgasms are possible when you feel safe and secure. So Getting you as an individual to feel safe and secure is what my ambition in therapy is. My ambition, my desire, my goal is to get you to feel joy and pleasure in your body again. And because I work neurobiologically, I spend a lot of time getting people individually to become what's called self-regulated. Because in order to, you know, think about this, Aluta, when you're in a situation where you feel a little scared, you know, you walk into your bedroom and you look at that bed and you think, 
that is that is terror for me. Your body is going to become dysregulated. You'll feel anxious. You'll make excuses. You'll go to bed earlier. You will have affairs. You will do anything to avoid getting into bed with that person because your body anticipates feeling terrified in that bed. So what we do is teach people how to become more regulated in their own bodies, to be able to move into safety with yourself and your own body first. And when you're in that place, it's then easier to have a conversation with somebody. It's easier then to be able to say, this is what I want. This is something that is not acceptable for me. This is something that I really enjoy. It has to be when they've got two adult, healthy, well-regulated people that those kinds of conversations can be held. And then sexuality is the epitome of joy and pleasure, right? That's a, well, for me, it's about the connection, the epitome of connection between two or more people. Or with yourself is the ability to surrender, to be able to feel this is my body, I can feel safe in it. I know that my body is going to be in my control. And when I walk into my bedroom, designing that bedroom in a way that makes me feel happy and safe, it's going to allow me to surrender and to trust because I've chosen somebody who I feel safe with and therefore when you are present in your mind within your body it becomes a lot easier to um to reach an orgasm or a sexual pleasure we live in a world that is so obsessed with like orgasm like you know having an orgasm squirting and it's like when you're a woman and you don't get there it's like oh no but what's wrong with you like what yeah. are you doing yeah. wrong you know why are you not getting yeah. there and people forget that there are so many factors that contribute to all of that i wanted okay. I, i'd like to ask you dr eve how do we i mean how do we shift away from just focusing on the end results because everyone is just focusing on finishing right if i want to reach that big o that everyone is talking about and if i don't there's something wrong with me so I'm smiling because if you want an orgasm, I'm talking to women. If you want an orgasm, please buy a sex toy. Okay? Because yes. <laughs> if, that's, if that's what you want, it's going to be way easier and save you a lot of trouble, trouble and disappointment. Just get a sex toy. If you want to have an experience that is full-bodied, that is connective, that feels safe and intimate for you, if you feel safe enough to do that with this person, it's going to bring you into an incredibly different experience of joy and orgasms will happen. 30% of women never have orgasms with a partner. 30% of women always do and 30% of the women sometimes do. So when I work with women around orgasms, I will inquire around their, their orgasms or orgasmic uh, experiences with their partners and it'll be mm, well uh, mm, yeah sometimes oh, not really uh, well you know he, he, he comes too quickly and it's like okay so you mean you're expecting a vaginal orgasm well yeah it's like mm, well no wonder you're not having an orgasm <laughs> and I'll say well tell me about you know your masturbation it's like oh yeah that's cool I do that all the time I have orgasms all the time do you use porn? Yeah, I use porn. I don't know. I use a toy. I don't use a toy. I'm really good, right? So I'm really good when I'm on my own. And the same can be said for male identified people that when they are pleasuring themselves with or without porn, that is a very different experience. And you know that that can be longer lasting and you can you have more control of it. So it's very different experiences. 
But if you're going to get, as a woman, go into a sexual experience and you, you're aiming, and or he or she that you're with, whoever you're with, is aiming for you to have an orgasm, I mean, that's setting you up for disaster, right? Because you're losing the experience of being just present in what we call a mindfulness way. Just being in the moment, having the sensory experience of just breathing, just touching, just smelling, just being present with each other and with your own body. And if there is enough arousal, if there is enough time spent, there's a sense of safety and connection. Orgasms happen, you know, they happen and they happen and they happen. What would be your tips, right, for a better sex life? And I mean, it could be anything really from the present time, like, just getting into the groove. A lot of people, well, a lot of women online always complain about how some men kind of skip foreplay and they just want to yeah, dive yeah. right into penetration. Well, some men are just like, we've been kissing and touching for 30 minutes. Like, why are we not? Why are we not getting there? So I find that um, I find that conversation really interesting because it literally just talks about how how different men and women are um, when, yeah. when when it comes to, you know, the sexual experiences and and expectations so as you know as a doctor who's done so much work within this area what would you say are maybe just like light tips uh for someone out there to actually enjoy sex in general well well <laughs> i say to everybody just slow down just slow down um the story of of just penetrating i really blame the media for it i blame social media for it because it's it just doesn't work for women and doesn't work for 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 men as well because a woman needs to become aroused and engorged it's like asking a man who can't have an erection who doesn't yet have his erection to penetrate yeah he wouldn't be able to yeah her, her vagina is the same the same physiology really and or anatomy she needs time for it to become aroused erect engorged her entire vulva and her vagina to become sweaty and to begin to expand and it's not just like for a man seconds where he can become erect for a woman as i'm saying she really needs a build-up of many 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 minutes to be able to get to that place. And that's the fun of it. That's the fun of just being able to explore, be curious about each other's bodies. Just slow it all down, you know, create a very beautiful sensual space and explore and be adventurous in terms of just curious and creative about being in each other's bodies and, and noticing, noticing how people move and noticing how they respond. And, listening to their breath and listening to their sounds and being direct, directly interacting with, I see you like that, tell me more about that. And once there's a beautiful conversation that's going, that's very arousing for a lot of people. And it makes it feel, you know, that much more intimate. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and that you've learned a few things of how trauma can affect you as a person from your mind to your body and how it affects how you interact and how you connect with other people. As we run off this season, I'd like to thank you for listening for one last time. And from myself and the drum team, goodbye.